Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. You know, it's funny that you say that because, like, anytime I can actually hear Jared laughing in the background, I know it's a funny joke. This is the Press Box. Just because I was making up Irish and Italian uh, accents, I don't need anything from you at this point. (laughs) With Grainy and Bischoff. You obviously listened to the Press Box before because our transitions made absolutely no sense whatsoever. (laughs) They still really don't, but we try our best each day at Grainy Tyler Bischoff. Jared just is running the show in the studio as usual. We're here on a Wednesday, and start us off with some UNLV basketball. The First Bite. Are you surprised Iowa State has hired T.J. Otzelberger so quickly? Well, if he goes through with it, and this happens, probably not, because it appears people think this has been done for a month. So if it's been done for a month, I'm not surprised they hired him so quickly, because all of a sudden it's not so quickly. It's been a while before since... uh, they first uh, started talking about this. They've so. been vetting him. Yeah, they've been vetting him. Well, uh, I don't know, Tyler. I mean, I, it, all, all signs point to it happening. You know, until the contract's done, who knows? But it does seem like he's been their guy for, for a, a while now that they wanted to uh, replace Steve Prom with. Okay, so Matt Norlander of CBS Sports had a report on this last night, and he had a source, anonymous source, who said it's been done for about a month now. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious what you think that means, because we know T.J. Otzelberger and Jamie Pollard, the athletic director at Iowa State, are close. That's a big reason why this is happening. So when you hear it's been done for about a month now, is that to you Iowa State reached out to Otzelberger's agent? Or is that to you Jamie Pollard sent T.J. Otzelberger a text message or they had a phone call in mid-February and said, yeah, I'm going to fire Steve Prohm and you're the guy. Um, I would think maybe the latter because I think it would be unofficial as possible at that point because agents tend to talk a lot. Um, And I've got to be honest with you, we've heard in the last 24 hours, I haven't confirmed this. Um, I, I haven't confirmed this, but we've heard from a, a few sources at the paper that he might not even have an agent. He, now, he might have gotten one recently. Oh, really? But I know I know he's got a different agent than he had uh, when he got hired. That's that's what we've heard. Again, you know, it's 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 sourced at this point. Everything's gonna be sourced. You have to you have to really feel confident in what you're being told until the school announces it. So be that as may, whether the agent's different or not, I would think if they're as close as they are, which people seem to think they are. Um, he, you know, Jane Pollard used to go to his games at South Dakota State. There's this relationship there that maybe it was more very unofficial Jamie Pollard uh, speaking. And because, again, if they're that close, my guess is it's not like it's new that they talk. They might have talked, you know, on a regular basis for the two years right. that TG was here. If, if they were close, I mean, maybe that was nothing. And he said, hey, if I do something here, what do you think? I mean, I could see that happening for sure. Right, and that's that would be my guess as to as to what happened when when somebody says it's been done for a month now. It's that Steve Prohm yeah. and Otzelberger, or excuse me, that uh, Jamie Pollard and Otzelberger talk regularly, and that that came up. Now, the the detail that you threw in there is the one that sort of I don't know if blew me away is the right phrase, but the idea that Jamie Pollard, 
the athletic director at Iowa State, would go to South Dakota State basketball games when Otzelberger was coaching there. He would willingly choose to go to the state of South Dakota to watch Otzelberger coach a South Dakota State team. The Des Moines Register in, in Iowa reported that. And as soon as I saw that, it was like, yeah, the, Otzelberger's the next coach at Iowa State. Like, what are you talking about? You're telling me an athletic director at Iowa State's going to South Dakota State just to watch his friend coach? Yeah, he's hiring that guy the second he gets the chance. So that detail to me is the one that stuck out the most in this entire process that says, oh yeah, that like this is absolutely happening. Otzelberger is absolutely going to Iowa State because he and Jamie Pollard are apparently, like, not, it's not just a previous working relationship. They're obviously like great friends. And so to me, ever since I read that, it's, oh yeah, he's he's gone. Like Otzelberger's going to Iowa State because they're going to hire this guy. Do either of you have a friend that you would travel to South Dakota in order to hang out with? No. No. <laughs> I have to no. rethink it. Uh, I don't I even don't... like to go see my family in Mississippi. <laughs> like... I, don't, I don't have a friend close enough that my wife would okay the, tr- the, the plane trip. <laughs> so, especially to South Dakota, because that appears to be a place I think I've driven through it once, but it's not like we're going to Arizona on Southwest. So... Um, no, I do. I, I can't say I have one to where the finances would make sense that I would actually do that. I would probably just call the person and say, good luck. <laughs> you know, good luck on uh, the game. Ah, uh, the Rothstein. Got it. <laughs> send me the, send me the big sky, uh, yeah. web link so I can try to watch a stream of you. That's, that's the effort yeah. I'll put into this. Um, so I, I posed a question on Twitter yesterday. Just, are you happy TJ Otzelberger has left UNLV? And over 600 votes. So that's the uh, representation of what Thomas and Max attendance has been the last few years. Yes was 59%. So 59% of the people that follow and respond to me on Twitter say they are happy that TJ Otzelberger's left UNLV. Do you think UNLV fans should be happy that Otzelberger's leaving? Uh, I think UNLV fans uh, should more apt to wait to see who the next coach is if, if, in fact, all this goes down. I mean, they might say they're happy now. But, you know, we know UNLV fans, and they, became, they like most fan bases, not just them, but they can be more of the unrealistic people uh, following a team that really hasn't been good in, in a really long time. So they might say yes in the moment, and next week you might put that Twitter poll out because another coach has been hired, and they might say, well, we don't like him either, and we would have liked the, the last guy back. So, you know, I think in the moment when a guy hasn't won in two years, most fans, I've got to be honest with you, I'm surprised it wasn't even higher. You know, you still have people living here in 1990. You still have people throwing out names for this job that have absolutely no chance of ever getting this job. And and with the expectations here, I'm not saying there shouldn't be expectations. There should be. But I'm not surprised at that number, and I'm probably surprised it's not higher. Yeah. So to me, with Otzelberger and being happy he's gone, you shouldn't be happy he's gone for the simple fact that UNLV's turnover and instability in the basketball program over the last decade has been almost unbelievable. How much they've turned over basketball coaches and even go up to ADs and presidents and obviously the roster. Like there has been zero stability at this program. So you shouldn't be happy that Otzelberger is leaving. But I will say this. If there was a time to lose your basketball coach who hadn't gone to the NCAA tournament after two years, to me right now is a really good time. Because obviously the financial standpoint, UNLV is going to get a little over $3 million in the buyout from Iowa State. That's a significant chunk 
of money to get in a buyout for a coach who hadn't won anything. But also, if you look at where UNLV would be next season under Otzelberger, we've been talking about it for like three months now. They're going to have to turn over the roster if Otzelberger were staying to have any chance at being competitive next year. They were going to have to be in the transfer portal. They were going to have to find better players than what they have now. The roster was going to have to be turned over. So bringing in a new coach doesn't really change that. Like even if a lot of the guys on the roster right now leave, they probably were anyway. So uh, to me, like it's not in a good thing that you're losing Otzelberger after two years and no real success to show for it. Like you shouldn't be happy about that. But if there were a time for it to happen, now's about as good a time because the if whoever they hire as the new coach at UNLV, that guy can come in and if he's good enough in the transfer portal, he can probably put together a team that's as good as, if not better than what Otzelberger was going to put together next season because Otzelberger was going to have to jump in the transfer portal. So you shouldn't be happy that Otzelberger's gone, but I think if there was a time to lose a coach after two years with no NCAA tournaments, it's right now. Yeah, and I think that if this happens, um, I think I think Desiree Refrancois, uh, there's a good chance she'll move quickly for this reason you're talking about. This transfer portal has become a monster into itself and how many kids are in it on a daily basis and how schools are chasing these kids. Uh, I think... Um, the AD at Iowa State said it yesterday, you know, I mean, he, I think he even mentioned it. Every AD is now mentioning this portal. So the days of, you know, month, month and a half, six week long searches, even more, I think they're going by the wayside because of this very reason, especially if you think your team has to be rebuilt. So if he does go and this actually happens, then I would suspect she'll move fast. I mean, look, obviously she's already thinking about it. She's probably been thinking about it since the very first time those Iowa State, you know, rumors came out from the fans and she had to think, hey, what if this would actually happen? So my guess is she'd move pretty fast uh, because I'm sure she understands they have to get better, which means you have to get better players, which means you need to get into that portal. So I don't think this would be a long drawn out process. I'd be shocked if she didn't move pretty fairly quickly to, to, to replace them. Yeah, she's she's got to move quickly. I mean, that's that's going to be the, the key here for UNLV basketball because, uh, honestly, she should be looking now. But as soon as Otzelberger's gone to Iowa State officially, UNLV, like, we're talking they've got to have a coach within a week. Like, in all seriousness, they've got to have a coach within a week yeah. because the transfer portal, it, it's it's legitimately possible that UNLV hires a new coach, the new coach goes into the transfer portal, finds a couple of good players and – keeps whoever around from the current roster, but finds a couple of good players, and UNLV has a decent season next year. Not necessarily in the tournament, but it's entirely possible that UNLV can bring in a new coach and have a decent season next year because there should be talent in the transfer portal. But if you wait two, three, four weeks before you hire a coach, a lot of that talent in the transfer portal is going to be uh, already committed to new schools. I mean, hell, a lot of the good players in the transfer portal already have committed to new good schools. The best point Absolutely. guard in the transfer portal, right now anyways, is already gone to Virginia Tech. So, yeah. like, it can't be a drawn-out process for UNLV. Like, it's going to have to be a, a relatively quick process for UNLV. Otherwise, you're going to be looking at next season as being a disaster season again, which... Uh, I mean, it's going to be a new head coach, so you're not exactly going to pin it all on him. But, like, if you're UNLV, I don't know that you can really afford to have a disaster season next year. You kind of, like, everybody loves the idea of, of you know, building it for the long term. Menzies tried to do it. Otzelberger was trying to do it with this year's recruiting class. 
that's fine at some point, but UNLV needs to hire a coach that's going to come in, go to the transfer portal, get a couple of good players, and try to be competitive right away. Well, they've got to they've got to hire him quickly uh, because if you only have two years before he goes to Kansas State, uh, this is something that you're going to have to do fast uh, when the Big Twelve comes calling again. Because what is it now? Three coaches? Uh, three? Did what? Gone to the Big Twelve? Gone to the Big Twelve. Beard? Yeah. Well, Lon Beard, and now you know if yeah. it goes, it's Iowa State. So um, I think, and that's the thing. I think uh, I, I think she has to move quickly, and I I don't need look. You can't completely say this is for sure, one hundred percent, because guys, if they do well, they get offers, and the Power Five is the Power Five. But I do think in the back of her mind, she will vet a person to the point of the idea or the hope is if she thinks he's the right person, he'll be here for a while. And that's tough because, again, things happen. Um, guys get offers or they don't win. But I think this time that'll be a point of emphasis, in, at least in her mind, that you don't want more turnover in two more years. Yeah, you can't. Like, imagine you know, be hiring another coach and he's gone in two years. You can't do that. I mean, I mean, I mean, again, it's a lot of it's out of her control. I mean, you know, she hired this guy and, you know, I mean, uh, Iowa State is a place. I had a quote in my column this morning when he went back to coach for Hoiberg and he said, you know, this is, means everything to my family. We're coming home. I mean, when someone says that, obviously Ames, Iowa to, the, to his family is very, very important and very special. And uh, that's a hard fight. I mean, I, I think she's trying to keep him as we speak. Um, I think she's trying to do things, but money's one thing you combine money and that's kind of a dream job as we saw with beard you're probably not winning that battle no uh, probably not ever winning that battle even if the money was the same i don't think unlv is winning right. that battle all right coming up next does anybody know what the raiders are doing do, do we have an idea of what the raiders plan is this offseason because it's kind of confusing i hope so I, you know the negative thing is you know trent brown left the game and rodney's not playing and uh, Worley left the game um Hopefully we get some bodies well for the Chargers. And, yeah, it's a huge momentum. It's fun to win. You know, we're 4-4 four and four at the break. We've had a tough schedule. And uh, we're not going to have an easier schedule coming up. I don't care what any of the articles say. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. So the Raiders offseason... Got off to what many would consider a good start by signing Yannick Ngakwe. And then on day two of free agency, the Raiders released Rodney Hudson, their starting center. Um, And it kind of depends on exactly the details of the release, because if the Raiders release Rodney Hudson, they might lose $2 million in cap space for this year, or... They can basically spread his cap hit over this season and next season, where they would save about $6 million for this year, but they would also have a cap hit next year of Rod- from Rodney Hudson of about 7 or $8 million. So either way, the Raiders are taking a cap hit on Rodney Hudson either this year or over the next two years for him to not play here, and he was one of their best offensive linemen. Uh, have you gotten a good... Uh, figured out a good explanation as to what the Raiders are doing. I have no sense, um, and and that's the thing. I'm not, and it's hard. Again, on its face, uh, this seems very bizarre that they would let go by far their best offensive lineman, top five player in the league at his position, very important position to help protect the quarterback. You've obviously, you know, continue to support and have faith in. So, you know, Lincoln Kennedy had a pretty good tweet last night. You know, obviously, I think inside the organization, he's going to know more people than we do. And he's like, look, 
there's a plan and just, you know, have patience. Now, again, that's fine. And maybe today they've already signed a wide receiver. Maybe today things start clicking, you know, leaking out that this is the plan and this is what they're going to do. But right now for all the information we have, it just seems absolutely crazy that they've moved on or, uh, you know, reportedly will move on from these, you know, this many offensive linemen in terms of their offensive front. So, I'm not going to go hard one way or the other because there might be a plan, but at this point, for all for the only things we know, it just looks very bizarre. It just makes no sense. Um, now, the interesting part in that, and this was, uh, you know, written by you know the beat right a lot of the beat writers, which I'm trying to figure out why. Maybe you have a thought that Rodney Hudson requested to be released, that he wanted out. Um, that to me was really interesting, uh, and I tried to figure out reasons for it. Um, I don't know the reasons for it. I certainly don't know inside the organization if, if, if there were, you know, he was upset at things or he, he, he didn't get along with people anymore. He just wanted to go somewhere he thought he could win more. But I thought that part of the story was actually pretty interesting. Yeah, Mark Sanchez, of all people, is the one who yeah. broke the story on Rodney Hudson asking for his release. Yeah. Um, I, the way Vic Tafer wrote it yesterday in The Athletic made it sound like it was more of a, hey, you know, Rodney, are, are you willing to waive your guaranteed money for this year and, and we'll release you if you do? And Rodney Hudson said, hell yeah, get me out of here. Um, I, I think if you're Rodney Hudson, you, you want to win, right? Like, that's what that comes yeah. down to. You've been one of the best centers in football for the Raiders. And, and what is what has he been here for? Six years, I think. And they've yeah. made one playoff appearance and they didn't win the game. And they've been uh, under 504 of the six years. Like... Yeah, wow. I I think I would want to leave too. And that mm-hmm. it, and here's the thing. To me, if that's the issue, that might even be a bigger problem than simply the Raiders deciding to move on from Rodney Hudson because what when did we hear from John Gruden that people want to come play for the Raiders? Well, it sounds like people that play for the Raiders don't want to play for the Raiders cuz Trent Brown yeah. was happy to leave and now Gabe, or Rodney Hudson seems pretty happy to leave. So, I that's not ideal if you're talking about two of your highest paid players over the last couple of years being happy to get out of this team. No, not at all. And uh, they worked out Chris Long the other day, yes. And I think people thought, um, hey, this is it. It's going to be done. Well, he got on a plane to make other visits. Doesn't mean he can come. He can't come back and sign with them. But I think people thought, given he stayed an extra day and worked out, that was going to be done. And he's, you know, he's tweeting on to the next visit. So I don't know if there's how much truth behind Gruden in terms of people want to play for Las Vegas. People want to win. I know that. Um, and, you know, there's certain things about Vegas, like other, other places in the league with taxes and how much money you really make. I mean, that, that factors in because it's a short lifespan for most NFL players. Not, you know, some go a lot longer than others, but for most, you know, Rodney Hudson plays a really hard position and that's probably a lot on a guy's body and you get six years into it and you've been to one playoff game. Yes. If winning matters, I could absolutely see him saying, you know what, I need to go somewhere else and try to win. It'll be interesting on the open market because I think obviously he probably becomes the number one offensive lineman on the market now um, on what he'll get on the open market and for whom. So again, I don't, I, I, they've done a lot of things now. Uh, Yannick and Gakwe, we talked about yesterday. We haven't gotten your thoughts on that. I think people were, the Raider fans were happy with that signing. It, you know, it was a position they obviously need. Um, but other than Gawkway, a lot of these moves, you're kind of hoping as a Raider, I think or as a Raider fan, it, there's got to be more to this. Like, there's got to be something that's coming that you can look back at all this and say, oh, okay, now I get why you did this. Right. And they have a bunch of cap space. So yeah, Who there's, knows? there should be something coming. 
more than John Brown for a few million dollars to right, play wide right. receiver. But here's here's my biggest problem with with the Rodney Hudson situation. We've talked about it this offseason. How many players on this team could you say are top five at their position in the NFL? And the answer was Darren Waller, um, mm-hmm. Rodney, Hudson, Rodney Hudson, maybe, and Alec Ingold, the fullback. Like that, the, the, that was the answer to the question. And even if you extend it to top 10, the only other player that really enters the conversation is Derek Carr. And maybe you could throw Josh Jacobs in there. But the Raiders simply don't have very many high-end players on this team. They do not have guys that you would consider, you know, Pro Bowl-level players. They don't have guys that you would consider top five at their position. There's only a few of them on this team. And to me, when you decide to release one of them, that jumps out as a big problem because I don't know that the Raiders, even if they spend all their money in free agency, how many guys are left on the open market that are top five at their position? Those guys aren't really out there anymore. And that that was why I was a big proponent of, hey, if Allen Robinson becomes a free agent, the Raiders should try to go get him because you can argue that Allen Robinson's top five at his position. I don't know that there's many guys left on the open market that are top five at their position. There weren't many that became available. So to me, if you're the Raiders, the problem with the roster is you don't have enough high-end players and you just released one of the guys you could consider a high-end player, I, even if they rebuild the offensive line and they and they make some good signings, it's not going to be good because you you got rid of the best player on the team or the second best player on the team. So I just that to me is the biggest problem with their roster. They don't have the high-end players, and letting Rodney Hudson goes hurts that even more. Yeah, and you know going into it was he just be his fourth year or third? My, uh, I'm I'm blanking on that. Um, Rudens? Yeah. Yeah, this will be his uh, fourth. Okay, his fourth. Going into a fourth year with no playoff burst. And again, we'll wait to see what's coming here. It's very bizarre to me that this is the position you're blowing up when it's been one of your better positions. I'm talking about the whole um, the whole offensive line. I mean, what is? let's say they blow this up. Let's say these guys are gone. I, I, you know, and, and, and Gabe Jackson, all these guys are gone, and maybe you're, sign, you're signing back incognito at a lower rate, but you've got to replace, let's see, at a, a minimum of three, position, uh, three spots in the offensive line. I mean – doesn't that seem very odd for a fourth year and you, you say you're trying to build a playoff team? It's one thing if the position would have stunk and you just got to move on from guys, and they've definitely got those guys on defense. But you're going into fourth year and blowing up your offensive line? I think that's I, – I, I just don't get the reasoning behind that. That's one right. place I would think it's like, hey, you know what? Yeah, the cap hits and all that, but we're pretty secure there. Let's just focus on defense. What can we do there? Clear space, get better defensively. This doesn't make any sense, again – on its face, before we know all that's going to happen starting today for real, it just doesn't make much sense. Yeah, the Raiders this offseason have, and granted, they've got a lot of money to spend, so maybe they sign guys over uh, these right. particular players. But they've made it kind of clear that Jonathan Abram's going to be a starter next year. Trayvon Mullen's going to be a starter next year. Uh, the linebackers are coming back the same because they re-signed Nicholas Morrow. Meanwhile, they've decided, no, we don't need Rodney Hudson. Like, they've got bad players on defense that they have said, well, that guy's got to start for us next year. But one of the best players on the entire team who plays on offense, they said, no, no, we can replace you. We've got Andre James ready to back you up and take your job. Coming up next, Miles Simmons joins the show to talk about the Raiders and free agency. I think mostly just enjoying, you know, uh, enjoying the moment, Uh, the excitement, taking advantage of it. And um, just, you know, playing football, you know, uh, I think all of us happy to be back and, and be playing, especially in uh, the new stadium and stuff. So 
you know, just uh, enjoy it, enjoy each other, and, and just try to build a win. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Joining us now from Pro Football Talk is Miles Simmons. Follow him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Miles, how are you this morning? Hey, Miles. Great. I'm loving the, uh, the underdog, man. Good intro song. Love it. <laughs> People have got to stop complimenting Jared on his intro. Yeah. All right. <laughs> not good. It's not good. Uh, Miles, can you can you help us at all make sense of Rodney Hudson getting released? Man, I was going to hope that you guys could make, <laughs> me make sense of it. Because, you know, from a national perspective, I mean, it's like, well, you have to understand that I guess this is a, a depressed salary cap, right? And it's not like the Raiders have won much with Rodney Hudson, even though he has been one of the league's best centers for a number of years. So I guess if you're looking at it that way, then and you also see Andre James, and I was there you know, in 2019 covering the team when they brought Andre James in. I know how much they liked him and liked his potential. He actually started at least one game that season and played pretty well. So it's not like the cupboard is completely bare, but I think if you're Derek Carr – and you're seeing all these <laughs> offensive linemen that have protected you pretty well over the last few years just all of a sudden out the door. You're kind of like, hey, man, what's going on here? <laughs> don't we need an offensive line so we can continue to score points? I don't know. Well, and Miles, a lot of times, Tyler and I were talking about this last segment because, you know, maybe today's, you know, things become more official and whatnot. I mean, would you be surprised? You covered the Raiders. You know, you'd be surprised today is like, or the next few days, enough moves or, or, or announcements comes out that you look back and say, okay, there was a plan. Okay, now we get that. Um, do you do you, odds there or odds we're still shaking our heads in two or three days? Well, I think it's, there is some sort of plan. There has to be some sort of plan. Teams don't just make these moves without a plan. But I think also when you hear that Rodney Hudson requested the release and even forgot some guaranteed money in order to make that happen, it seemed like the writing was on the wall that he just wanted out, that whatever is going on behind the scenes, whatever he feels like his career should be at this point in it, it just wasn't going to happen for him with the Raiders in, the, in Las Vegas. And I think that that's it's an unfortunate thing to come about, you know, when that happens and you have a guy who has been so good for so many years you don't want that player to want out. It, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of what Matthew Stafford was going through um, in Detroit, just saying, you know, I don't want to go through another rebuild. And the weird thing is, I mean, like in Las Vegas, it shouldn't be a rebuild, right? This team has been competing <laughs> in late season for a playoff spot for the last two years. So it's not like they're totally a downtrodden franchise and just losing, losing, losing. There has been some potential there. I just, it's just really interesting though to see now all of the guys are gone on the O line and all the guys that they have to replace. And it seems like at least Rich Incognito will probably be back. Um, There's a lot of holes to fill, and then you have to look at the defense and say, yeah, there's still holes to fill over there too. So this is going to be an interesting few weeks for the the Raiders for sure. It's uh, pure speculation, but what do you make of Trent Brown and Rodney Hudson seemingly being happy to leave the Raiders? Well, not just them. I mean, Gabe Jackson, right? You know, when it came out that he was going to be released, 
And he had that, I don't remember exactly what the tweet said, but it was ostensibly, you know, I'm all right with the way things are going down here. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like if you're in a situation where you don't feel like you're going to be able to get over the hump, and sometimes the money isn't always worth being uh, in a place where you're not going to win. Now, I, I don't hesitate to say like being a loser because I don't think you know the Raiders are losers right now. They were eight and eight. They had a, at least a 500 record. Um, but by the same token, it's like if you are in that situation and you just don't feel like you're going to be able to get over the hump then, yeah, you might want to be in a better situation where either you're going to make more money or you're at least going to have a better chance to win. It seemed like, at least on term, uh, the Yannick Ngakwe signing is, just again, if we're saying Rodney Hudson's kind of weird on paper in terms of what happened there, if you go two for 26 and, you know, I think it's half, almost half guaranteed, for a position of need, that appears to be on face a pretty good signing, especially on term. Would you agree? Yes, I would. Um, but, but here's the thing. I think Ngakwe is a good player. I don't know if he is a great player. So that means that if you have a good player who's an edge rusher, then you probably need somebody, if you really, really want to you know, up the pass rush, you need somebody great on the opposite side of him in order to really elevate that. You know, I think we see it in Los Angeles with Aaron Donald all the time and what he did with Dante Fowler. And then Dante Fowler goes to Atlanta and makes a bunch of money, and now it comes out today that he's going to have to take a pay cut because they only had three sacks last year. He was Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd just got paid in Los Angeles. If you have that one guy who is dominant and then you have another guy who is good, maybe not great, but at least good, then that guy can have great production. So – what does that mean for the Raiders? All right, if you have Ngakwe, I think he's a good player. You have Max Crosby opposite him, who would probably be the other defensive end in third-down situations, Cleveland Furl on the inside more likely, just because of the way the Raiders seem to shake things out. I think that Ngakwe and Crosby are pretty good on the edge, but, I mean, are they? you have to have somebody at least inside there then that's also a good player to say, all right, these three guys can at least push the pocket. Because I don't think that either one of them is a dominant pass rusher at this point. But, heck, even good for the Raiders right now, would, <laughs> as a pass rusher, would be a significant upgrade based on what it's been the last few years. All right. Uh, which of the signings of quarterbacks in the range of, hey, that guy could be a starter, but you're probably better off if he's a backup, did you like the most? Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Fitzpatrick, or Andy Dalton? Uh, oh boy. Okay. I'll say Tyrod Taylor just because, um, I think that it makes the situation in Houston that much more interesting. And frankly, I would like to see Deshaun Watson get out of Houston because that to me is an interesting story. So for the story, at least I would say Tyrod Taylor, uh, to Houston. And I guess Adam Hill now needs a Houston Texans hat. Yes. And a Jersey. Oh, we can't wait for him to buy that. Um, <laughs> You, uh, you know, we've seen we've seen some guys come off the top uh, in Tampa and other places. Well, let me ask you about one team real quick because it seems like Belichick thinks his, thinks his cap is two hundred eighty million. Um, is this him saying, you know what, uh, we don't like losing here, and I'm going to just change a bunch of spots? What have you made with the Patriots done with all their signings and move here? I think it's exactly that. Like they were not good, and I think they had to at least in some way try to overhaul their weapons. 
Um, and when you get Joni Smith, when you get Hunter Henry, you get all these different guys um, in there, Aguilar, uh, it, it's basically signaling, okay, we know that our weapons in the last year, <laughs> maybe you can go back you know, a couple years, but last year, Brady, were just not good enough. And it's acknowledgement of that and saying we can't just solve this in the draft. Now, to me, the most interesting thing comes in at the quarterback position because, frankly, they're not paying Cam Newton like a starting quarterback. I mean, if he hits basically all of his incentives, which are something like MVP, like they get to the Super Bowl, like you got to hit all of the tippy top, then he would make $14 million. And you can even say that $14 million isn't really – like that much of a backup quarterback salary. I think the top end backups make something around there in 14 million. So what are they going to do with the QB position to me is the next intriguing question. I mean, are they going to draft somebody? Because I think if you were to draft say like Mac Jones, then that offense is probably decently ready-made for him to come in and have some success right away. When you think about you know, having two real good security blankets in Smith and Henry there that you can throw the ball to as tight end. So I just feel like there's another shoe that has to drop for them, and it probably is going to be the quarterback. Because say you do draft a rookie, Cam Newton can at least get you through the first few games, right? But I just it's hard for me to believe that seeing the amount of struggles that we saw last year with Cam Newton throwing the ball, that that guy is going to be the starting quarterback for all 16 or 17 games. I, I, maybe it's week one, but I just don't really see that based on everything that they're trying to do to improve. Will the Patriots run a formation with five tight ends on the field? Oh, yeah, I bet they would love to do it. I, you know, <laughs> I'm sure Bill Belichick would absolutely love to have that happen and make it work somehow. You know, they're, they're always zagging when the league is digging. You know, it's just that's the way they do things. But, look, I mean, the two tight ends thing worked really, really well for them when they had Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski in the early 2010s, right? So, obviously, you know, there are some aspects of that that they would probably rather leave in the past. But just the fact that you'd have two tight ends and, you know, that, that they're both good receivers, that, you know, that could, be, that could work out well. Uh, I was going to ask you before about the Patriots, uh, but as as you've looked at the entire landscape the last three days, uh, some of the big names have gotten paid, uh, but we heard all going into this because of the cap, a lot of the market wouldn't bear with some of these players and agents thought. Is it going that way, or guys getting paid more than you thought they would? Mm, I don't know if I would say that. I think that basically anytime you have free agency and – Anytime that you have guy, you have teams who really have needs that they need to address, I don't know if it's paid more than I, I thought they would. I, I guess the one that sort of surprised me was Von Miller in, um, in Denver, and that's not even really a free agency thing. That's just they're picking up his option and guaranteeing him basically that he's going to make $18 million. I just didn't think that, that was something that they would want to do in a year with the depressed cap, but at the same time, it's like Von Miller wanted to stay in Denver. Von Miller has been one of the best pass rushers, if not the best pass rusher, really, that that franchise has ever had. So it's almost like you're giving him back pay. You know, like you've done so much for this franchise, even though you didn't play last year because you weren't, he- you weren't healthy, even though you didn't have double-digit sacks in 2019, we're going to keep you because we believe in everything that you bring to this organization. So – if there's one guy, I guess that would be him. 
Well, he is Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk. You can follow him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Miles, we appreciate it. Thanks, Miles. Good to talk to you soon. Take care. Man, what are the Patriots doing? Man, well, they're signing a lot of people. I so (laughs) great. So here, he he hates funniest part. The funniest part of it is they signed the top two free agent tight ends in Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. But last year they drafted two tight ends in the third round. Yeah, like, this is going to be awesome. They are out tight ending John Gruden. All, all, John Gruden is so jealous of what Bill Belichick is doing. All you, Do okay. the Patriots have three fullbacks? That's a good how question. Many fullbacks are the well, Patriots? Okay, I don't know so if Sean Payton taught me anything, it's that you don't need a fullback. You just line up your crappy tight end. In front of your running back, have him run into a linebacker, get bowled over, and it's all fine. It's basically the same thing as having a fullback. <laughs> Who might also be the quarterback on that team. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Think about this. Nine people on the line. You've got five offensive linemen, two tight ends on each side, direct snap to the fullback, and he maybe hands it off to the running back like behind his back. Well, no, you got Cam Newton, so you you just direct snap it to him. Yeah, Yeah. I said said fullback. Okay, all right. (laughs) You don't want him throwing. Well, that's you get the tight end, so the throws are only five yards down the field at a time when you do throw it. I just, I, I, the tight end thing is fascinating because tight end is not like, it's not a premium position, right? If you have a great tight end, it's great like Travis Kelsey, right? They can be like a number one wide receiver. But for the most part, once you get outside the top three or four tight ends, everybody's kind of replaceable. But the Patriots are like, well, we got to draft two in the third round. And then the following offseason, we got to sign the two biggest name tight ends to big deals. Because I, I, I don't know. What are they going to do on offense? How many tight ends it's, are they going to have? They, no, I'm telling you that it's going to be each tight end is going to get one reception. And it's going to be we're going to rush 80 times a game. <laughs> <laughs> do we know? Wait, do the Raiders play the Patriots? Um, oh, they don't. They do not play the Patriots. Okay. That is uh, disappointing because yes. I think if they did, would it set a we might get it. Well, there might be a pissing match where Bill Belichick puts out four tight ends and Gruden yeah. sees that and says, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. You're not coming into my house and out tight ending me. Get Sign Jason Witten. Sign J- get, get Jason Witten out of the high school in Texas. Get him on the field. Eagle, take off Bring that jersey. Big back. Bring Big Whip back and add a fullback, and we'll, we'll show you Belichick. Oh, that's I, – I, so many tight ends. It's something John Gruden would do. So I don't know that I trust that just because it's Bill Belichick, it's the right thing to do. But nah. it, it'll probably work out well. The Patriots will probably win that division. Yeah, probably go to the Super Bowl with, with them. With four tight ends on the field. Instead of a Super Bowl times. record with the most tight ends played in one game. <laughs> all right. Coming up next, the Houston Astros have been vindicated. Look out, folks. This is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Oh, the greatest team in the history of baseball has been vindicated. Ed, are you you finally ready to say the Astros don't deserve an asterisk for their 2017 World Series? No, they're complete cheaters, but this Mike Bolsinger case... uh, (laughs) Asterisk. He was never going to... 
he was never going to win this case. With I, you know, I, I, I felt bad that he even brought this case forward to go in the public vein. Uh, this was never going to happen. So uh, I'm not usually on board with California judges. I live there, and uh, well, it might be California juries because you can get away with anything. But uh, appears this judge uh, has shot this case down. Asterisk. Yeah, so Mike Bolsinger was a pitcher in Major League Baseball. Uh, he played for the Dodgers too for a couple mm-hmm. of years. But he has been trying to sue the Houston Astros under the claim that the Astros ruined his Major League Baseball career because Mike Bolsinger's last appearance in Major League Baseball was in 2017 in relief against the Astros. He gave up four runs while getting one out. In that appearance, he never pitched again. So he's been trying to sue the Houston Astros, saying that they ruined his career. But what's interesting is that Mike Bolsinger, when he uh, had his career ruined, was pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays. And Mike Bolsinger, uh, that game was played in Texas, where the Houston Astros are from. But Mike Bolsinger, for some reason, filed this in the state of California. He was trying to sue the Astros in California. And the Astros said during one of the the hearings or whatever the hell it is that he's just doing this because he wants to find Dodger fans in California that'll want to pay back the Astros. And the judge basically agreed and said, there's no reason you should be trying this case in California. You need to go to Texas where the team is based and where this game actually happened. And Mike Bolsinger lives in Texas too. But Mike Bolsinger's terrified to do it in Texas because... There might be Astros fans in Texas, and they won't try to punish the Astros. Well, and I don't even think he gets to that stage in Texas. He's probably not even allowed in the courthouse with this thing. So <laughs> there's no way this is happening in Texas. I don't think they put up with it. Again, I'll go back to uh, I, I lived in California for a long time, and you can get a, you get a few things through there in the court system. Um, as we've seen some high-profile cases out there that had to be tried 50 times before juries finally realized what happened. So. That was probably in his attorney's thinking, too. It's like, we have no chance in Texas. Let's try this thing in California. Either way, it wasn't going to go forward in either state, and he's got to give this up. Um, To say that they ruined his career uh, as cheaters, well, the latter might be true. I'm not so sure the former is. Well, so let me give you the case against Mike Bolsinger here. This is his ERA by season of his four-year Major League Baseball career. 550, 362, 683, 631. Before yeah. in, in his last season of Major League Baseball, before he faced the Astros in the game that he thinks ruined his career, he had been taken out of the Blue Jays starting rotation because his ERA was 549. He was a bad pitcher for four years in baseball and tried to sue the Astros saying they're the reason that he got thrown out of baseball. As if Every, all the other teams in baseball wouldn't have taken a chance on him if they thought he was any good. Like, the dude's a terrible pitcher, and I don't know what he was trying to accomplish by this. Maybe just trying to make some money. <laughs>